0: some of you will remember a television program that was broadcast years and years ago that in one season ended with an incredible cliffhanger. Who shot J.R.? Now the young people may not understand what that was all about but there was a program and I think they tried to resurrect it again but I don't know if that succeeded. It was a program called Dallas. And you, you guys have probably heard of that, haven't you? The young people. The rest of you, you, you are all familiar with this. By the way, who did shoot JR? Oh, his wife? <laughs> oh, so it was true to life. Uh, <laughs> no, I honestly could not have told you. But I just remember that there was such a big hubbub about who shot JR. And we're going to get the answer to that right now. That pattern has been followed by many, many other programs that try to end a season with a cliffhanger. And I think the reason for that is so that you're left with a lot of questions at the end of the particular season so that when the new television season begins, you can't wait till it comes back on so you can find out how the cliffhanger was... Solved, or or what the end result was of that, and so you're left wondering at the end of something significant, that television program that you're watching, exactly how things were going to unfold down the road. That very thing is what we are going to be looking at today, but we're going to look at it from a biblical perspective. Some months ago, we finished a study in the book of First Corinthians. And where we left that book left us wondering how things were going to be received that had been written to the people in the city of Corinth by the hand of the Apostle Paul because a lot of what he had to address dealt with problems that were rampant in the church. There were those who were questioning his authority. There were those who were living in immorality. There were those who were causing division in the church. There were those who did not handle their financial matters well. They were taking each other to court. They were suing each other. There there were all sorts of problems. And we were left with a uh, a cliffhanger. How is the church at Corinth going to handle this? What will the answer be? And the Apostle Paul, for months following the writing of that letter, was in a bit of a quandary. He was not sure how they were going to receive the message that he had written to them. And so what he did was he sent one of his fellow workers, a man by the name of Titus. And Titus went back to the city of Corinth with the explicit direction to determine how the church had received this message of, in many cases, rebuke, but in other cases, of instruction and of encouragement. When we get to 2 Corinthians, we have the answer. Titus returned, and he came back with an answer that was a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul. He said that the majority of the people at Corinth received the message well. They have listened to what you have sent to them in this letter. And, of course, we know this, that the letter was not the device that Paul had come up with, but it was a message from God. And it was a message not only for the church at Corinth, but it was a message that would apply to all churches throughout this entire age. When Titus returned, his message was primarily encouraging. The people have listened. There has been repentance. People have responded in a very positive way, and the vast majority of those at Corinth have listened, and they have put to feet the message that you had sent to them. But there was still a minority that had retained their sinfulness. There were those who had um, embraced a position that opposed the Apostle Paul in his function. There were those who wanted to be the big shots at Corinth. And they were still creating problems. They, some of them were either, even uh, teaching, continuing to teach false doctrine. And so the situation was not good for some. Paul now responds. And we begin today to take a look at that response as we go into the second epistle, the second letter that was written to the Corinthians. And it's a follow-up on what had originally been written So now we begin to see an unfolding of the heart of Paul as he is writing to people who were responsive by and large. But he is still going to deal with those who had rejected the message that he sent. And so throughout this book, there are going to be a couple areas that are pretty hard to deal with. And and he's going to describe that for us when we get to them. So over the next months, our study returns us to the city of Corinth a city in Achaia, which would be present-day Greece. If you were to look it up on a map, and many of you have Bibles that have maps in the back, you're able to locate it to the northwest of Athens. And in this city, the Apostle Paul is now writing to bring words of encouragement and blessing to the majority. And as we turn our attention to this book, we are given an introduction that really kind of lays the groundwork for the direction that we're going to head. And I'd like you to open once again to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, and take a look with me as we examine how Paul begins this letter to them. And he starts right away with a verbal defense. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now that becomes very important because what Paul is doing is he is establishing his apostolic authority. He's not just some run-of-the-mill, transient, itinerant preacher who's going around expressing his particular points of view. He has been set apart by God to do a specific work And the work involves an apostolic ministry. He is being sent by God, having been taught by the resurrected Christ, and was responsible to communicate a revelation that God was giving that had never been given before. The message is new. The doctrine will be clear. It will be established. And it will be that which once for all will be delivered to the saints so that what we read today is still as important and as effective as it was 2,000 years ago. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he introduces the greatness of his master. He's not serving another man. He's not doing this in the power of of the flesh, he is serving Jesus Christ, the Creator, the one who spoke and all the universe came into being and everything that was created was created by this one whom the apostle Paul was serving. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. He brings us to the place where He recognizes those who are serving with Him. And throughout His ministry, He will identify for us a number of other individuals who are going to be involved in helping carry not only the message of the gospel, but the truth of the entirety of God's Word to the city of Corinth, to Ephesus, to Colossae, to Philippi, and ultimately to Pompano Beach. Because this is for us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who had been set apart, to those who had been called out at this city. It's a very specific grouping of people, but look at what he goes on to say in the remainder of that verse with all the saints who are in all Achaia. We would say today, all the saints who are in the country of Greece. And he is writing now to a church that had manifested a great deal of disobedience, a great deal of rebellion, a great deal of their own carnal desires, and yet he recognizes them still as saints. Not because of what they had the ability to do or not do. But because of their identification with Jesus Christ, having believed in Him and having accepted Him as their Savior, they had been forgiven of their sins and they had been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, Paul could refer to the believers at Corinth and in all Achaia in spite of their difficulties as the saints. That had to be very encouraging to them because I would suspect by this time some of them really had a question about where they stood in their relationship with the Lord just by virtue of their own behavior. So he goes on to say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He expresses in those words the highest desire that he had for them and everything was good. Grace, peace from God the Father. Any man that desires to see the work of God continues has that same desire for the body of believers. That we would be not only the recipients of God's grace, but that we would understand the importance of His grace in our walk with Him day by day. And that our hearts would not only be at peace with our God, but they would be at peace with each other. And so he wants the very best for these dear people. Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that brief statement, he puts on an equal plane the Father and the Son. The deity of Jesus Christ is exalted along with that of the Father and he breaks into what we would call a doxology, a praise as we go into verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What an incredible start to an incredible book. And he begins almost immediately by drawing our attention to a reality that existed among the Corinthians that still exists today. And it begins with a clear understanding of what it means to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We're living in a day when when I, I really think that there is a great deal of confusion about the heart and the significance of the gospel. I think for some, the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that says this. If you will come to Christ, if you will receive Christ, if you will accept Him, He will help you with every one of your problems, and He will come to your aid and be there to assist you through all of the difficulties of life. And I understand that there is a seed of truth to that. He is there with us. But for some, the acceptance of Christ is really based upon a need that they are experiencing at the moment. Maybe it's a problem in the family. Maybe it's a financial issue. It might be a health issue. And for some, the idea is that if we come to Christ, well, then He's going to solve the problems in our family, He's going to take care of the health issues, He's going to solve all of the difficulties that we face, and many will find that what their concept of receiving Christ involves is not the truth at all. When the Apostle preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he preached it for one specific reason, and that reason was to deal with our sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul went on to say, of whom I am chief. The issue, folks, is sin. The issue is rebellion. The issue is the very nature of who we are in our deepest being. As by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men in that all sinned and our identification with Adam has put us into a relationship with God that has been fractured to the point of ultimate separation from Him and the problem that we have is not that we have diseases, though that is a terrible issue, it's not that we have material needs, it's not that we have interpersonal problems, the issue is that we have sinned. And that sin is at the very core of our being. And the person who comes to Christ as Savior recognizes that He is the one who took the penalty of our sin. He paid the price that needed to be paid. And at the cross of Calvary when He died, He was dying to pay for our sin. He was dying to pay for my sin. And then, after three days of remaining in the grave, he rose again from the dead. And he lives to be our Savior. The reason I am emphasizing that part so vividly is because the initial subject that the Apostle Paul deals with would betray any reason for coming to Christ other than to have our sins forgiven. Because the reality is that though Christ is with His children, those who have trusted in Him through all of their difficulties of life, when we come to Him, sometimes the difficulties are magnified. Sometimes the hardships are harder. Sometimes the trouble we go through is more troubling because... When we know Christ as Savior, we find ourselves at odds with a world that is no friend of grace. And you just have to look around to understand that. The beliefs that we embrace, the beliefs that we hold as followers of Christ, are rejected by many in this world. And I'm not speaking merely about those who hold a different uh, religious point of view. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. I'm talking about even those who would identify themselves in some cases as Christians because they're part of America or part of Canada or or part of South America and, and they're Christian when in reality the truths that they embrace are not based upon the realities of what God's Word has to say. That leads us into trouble. And so Paul addresses that and he says, look, you're going to have trouble. If the world persecuted Christ, they're going to persecute you. And let me tell you, you haven't escaped this world of sin and its impact. Yeah, some of you are going to get diseases, and you're going to die from them. Some of you are going to have broken relationships because... Some of you following Christ are going to be at odds with relatives who do not know the Savior and do not love Him. Some of you are going to experience great periods of need in your life. You're going to be struggling to get by. And so this background of understanding that coming to Christ is to save us from our sin, to to give us eternal life, that now, in many ways, is at odds with the context in which we find ourselves. It's why the hymn writers would say this, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And we look forward to that day when we're going to be with the Lord. But we have to live here right now. So how do we get through these problems? Why is it that the Lord allows problems of any magnitude and of any type to come into the lives of his followers? The answer is given to us right here. As we go down into this first chapter, we're introduced with clarity of understanding exactly what is involved. Why does the Lord allow us to suffer? It's so that we might understand the real source of all comfort. My guess is that when you go through hardships, when you go through difficult times in life, there are people that you go to that you know will be of a comfort to you. Um, Children, little children, will go to their parents. If they hurt themselves, uh, they they generally cry out for mommy. I mean, we, we all know that. And if mommy's not around, they might cry out for daddy, but they want mommy because mommy will... Oh, you poor little thing. Here, let me, let me rinse off that knee. <laughs> you know, as I'm preparing this message, there are thoughts that come to mind that involve my family. When my daughter and my son and my wife and I went to a Bible Conference on the other side of the state of Michigan, over near Grand Rapids. There's a Maranatha Bible Conference, and it's right by uh, Lake Michigan. And there are sand dunes that are there. And on these sand dunes, my daughter and son went to the top, and I'm standing at the bottom. And uh, should I tell the whole story or just the nasty part? You don't mind? Okay, good. Good. I should get permission before I start these things, but that's all right. Alyssa had just gotten a new bathing suit and she had asked mom if she could run down the sand dunes and mom said no because she was afraid that as she would run down she'd get a a tear or something would happen to the suit. And Alyssa was just a horrible rebel back in those days. (laughs) No, not really. This actually was quite surprising. I didn't know what mom said. We had a rule that if one of us said no to something, don't you dare ask the other one. If you ask the other one, you're going to get it. And it won't be pleasant because we stand together, mom and I. Anyway, Alyssa and Matthew go to the top of a sand dune and they decide to race down. As they run to the bottom of the sand dune, The dune comes down like this, and then it levels out like that. I hear this, and Alyssa goes down. And she lets out with this blood-curdling scream. And I walk over to her, and I said, oh, honey, you okay? And she is just crying her eyes out. And the typical father that is just a sponge of comfort just oozing the comfort, I said to her, Honey, get up and walk it off. (laughs) That snap that I heard was her leg breaking. And she spent the next months in a cast all the way up to the hip. And uh, needless to say, it made for a very interesting camping outing. I was not the one that she would go to in the future for comfort. (laughs) It would always be mom. But as you get older, sometimes the the source of your comfort begins to shift. And brothers and sisters will go to each other. Brothers sometimes go to brothers, sisters to sisters, and vice versa. And and they will go, and, and when something bad is about to happen, they will go to the other one for comfort. And another story came to mind. My son was in line to get paddled. So he went to his sister to comfort him in this inevitable expression of corporal punishment. And my daughter helped him slip magazines down his (laughs) pants in the back. All I know is this. I don't want to know all the things that they have done together but they will find comfort in each other. Sometimes you'll find comfort in a close friend, and some of you have done that. You have gone through times of difficulty and trial, and to be able to go to a friend and say, here's what I'm facing, uh, what, what could I do? And, and sometimes people have solutions for you, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes people will come to the pastor. Maybe after my <laughs> illustration today, you won't do that anymore. But yeah, get up and walk it off. Okay, just <laughs> take care of it. Um, you might go to a professional counselor. And they are all helpful. They all will do good if you have found confidence in those individuals. But there comes a point when they can no longer provide the comfort that you need. They don't have the capability. But Paul tells us who does. And I want you to look with me if you will. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Where the parents stop, where the brothers and sisters can't proceed, where the friends don't have the capability, where the counselors can't find their way. God is there to say this, no matter what you are going through, if you are one of my children, I will be there to comfort you in every one of your trials. And he goes on in verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice how The word comforts us is in the present tense. It's that way in our English. It's that way in the original. The reason is it doesn't stop. It is now. 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 And it continues to where God says, I will be there to give you everything you need in no matter what trial you're going through. I will comfort you. Why? Because He is a God of compassion. He understands from a heart of love as He looks at His children and He says, I care for you, I know the troubles you're going through, and I will be there to help when nobody else can. I will go to places where no one else dare go or even has the capability to go. And I could give you illustrations from within our congregation where people have said this, I can't take it anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. And they're here today because the God of all comfort has continued to give them the strength and the comfort they need to get through every single trial of life. May I encourage you to get a little book that was written by one of our own Jennifer Ebenhack has written a book that's been published and it's available on Amazon and she talks about some of the experiences of her life and the trauma that she experienced and it's incredible some of the things that she and her family have gone through but the book is divided into two sections and in the second section What struck me was the frequency with which Jennifer continued to go back to the Scriptures and say, here is what God did, and here is what God did for me, and here is what He had promised, and this, and this, and this, and this. And you find that through all of the traumatic experiences that she has gone through, she understood that there was one ultimate source of comfort, and that was the Lord. Folks, I can tell you without reservation No matter what you are going through, the Lord understands. He knows it inside out. He knows how to get you through. And he will never allow it to be greater than what you're able to bear. What are you going through? If you know Christ as your Savior, you are not going through that alone. And so he tells us about the great capability that he has to deal with all of our problems. And Paul kind of brings this down to a a level of personal experience because he is living with the threat of death every day. And when we read in the Scriptures some of the experiences that he has gone through, what we find are a, a, a litany of different things that involve the possibility of death. He is beaten, he is shipwrecked, he is in want, he has he gone without food and water, he has been bitten by a snake. We won't find that out until later, but we, we know the end result of that, how the Lord pro- protected him and saw him through that trial. And he goes through all of these different trials and he says every day we're confronted with the possibility of death, but then you get down here. And what do you find? As you get to the latter verses of this, he says in verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Do you know what he is saying at this point? He's saying we have been brought to the point of death and live under the shadow of death every day of our lives, and when we get to that point, we find that God is there with Power that is comparable to that of resurrecting the dead. In other words, every time we successfully go through a time of trial and difficulty and hardship, it's as if we have testified to the resurrection because the life that God preserves within us is comparable to that which He gives to the dead. His power, His capability is absolutely limitless. Some of you may be going through difficulties of life right now where you would make a statement such as this, I can't go any farther. And I am here to tell you that you can because you're not going through it alone. And no matter how long it takes and no matter how difficult the circumstance, He will see you through. Some of you have already experienced that. You've already gone through those events. You've gone through those times. You know what they're like. He has a capability that is beyond our understanding. He is the solution for every problem that we face. Look at verse 6. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring The same sufferings which we also suffer. What is he saying? Listen, he's saying God has the capability to see you through. Be patient. Do you know when we want our trials and our difficulties and hardships to end? Now. Now. And the Lord says, no, I'm not done. I haven't accomplished what my desire is for you. You haven't gone far enough yet. If we stop now, you won't become the person that I have designed you to be. And so we have to look at this with a patience that says, Lord, I am confident in your capabilities I am confident in your power. I am confident in your goodness. And regardless of what I'm going through right now, I know I can get through this. And by your grace, I will be patient until you have completed in me the work that you desire to accomplish. That's how we live. That's how we ought to live. Because the troubles are going to come. They're going to come. He extends an abundance of comfort. And some of you would recognize that there have been times you've been going through trials and you've been somewhat amazed at the fact that the severity of the trial has not affected you as negatively as you would have anticipated. It's kind of hard for me to explain this, but let me give you a case in point. When Stephen was being... Martyred. God gave him grace to be able to pray for those who were putting him to death. Don't lay this sin to their charge. When Paul was being imprisoned and beaten, and the necessities of life are being withheld from him, every day he faced with victory when most people would crumble. I want to read something to you that makes this a little bit more current, but it's not real current. Maybe this will help illustrate the point. Visitors to Boston Commons, with its graceful swan boats, might be surprised to learn what once happened there to Obadiah Holmes. In 1651... Holmes was arrested for preaching Baptist doctrine in nearby Lynn. By the way, um, though being a Baptist is not how we get to heaven, we're obviously a Baptist church, and I obviously believe in Baptistic doctrine. Some of you should understand the great battles that some people have had to fight to defend the things that we believe. And today, we don't have to fight them, and so it's easy for us to compromise the things that we believe. But you need to understand that some people died to stand for our beliefs. They were executed by others who would claim the name of Christ, but did not fully grasp the truths of what God's Word has to say. Here's one of them. In 1651, Holmes was arrested for preaching Baptist doctrine in nearby Lynn. Friends tried to pay his fine, but Holmes refused. On September the 6th, 1651, he was taken to Boston Commons, stripped to the waist, and tied to a whipping post. He later wrote this, As the man began to lay the strokes upon my back, I said to the people, Though my flesh should fail, yet God would not fail. So it pleased the Lord to come in and fill my heart and tongue, and with an audible voice I broke forth praying unto the Lord not to lay this sin to their charge. In truth, as the strokes fell upon me, I had such a manifestation of God's presence as the like thereof I never had known nor felt nor can with fleshly tongue express. And the outward pain was so removed from me that indeed I am not able to declare it to you. I was so easy, or pardon me, it was so easy to me that I could well bear it, yea, and in a manner felt it, not although it was grievous, the man striking me with all his strength, spitting in his hands three times, as many affirmed, with a three-corded whip, giving me therewith, 30 strokes. When he loosed me from the post, having joyfulness in my heart and cheerfulness in my countenance, I told the magistrates, You have struck me with roses. That is an expression of the Lord's capability to see an individual through a terrible time of suffering and pain does he do that all the time for everyone that's going through not exactly there are times he will relieve the sense of pain but there are other times in which he will give the grace that's necessary to deal with it the description that follows is a little bit more graphic it says uh, after his statement you have struck me with uh, roses if so they were covered with thorns now he's not writing any longer this is now being observed The whipping was so severe that blood ran down Holmes' body until his shoes overflowed. A friend reported, Holmes was whipped 30 stripes in such an unmerciful manner that in many days, if not some weeks, he could take no rest but lay on knees and elbows, not being able to permit any part of his body to touch the bed. Now, you would look at that and you would say, what an awful experience. And it was. But God gave him all that was necessary to get through it. And then you wonder, well, what was the point? And this is the cool part. But the suffering wasn't wasted. The trial and whipping of Obadiah Holmes occasioned the conversion of Henry Dunster, president of... Harvard to the Baptists and led to the organization of Baptists of Boston's first Baptist church. Here is a man who understood the reality of the source of our comfort and as he allowed the Lord to take him through his trial It brought down glory from God. By the way, did you all understand that Harvard at one time was a Bible-believing Christian institution? It has drifted far from that, but it began on the right premise. By the way, so did Princeton and so did Yale. But they have drifted far. Knowing the source of comfort is not the only thing that comes out of this. I want you to see a second thing that emerges very quickly from this. It's so that we could be qualified to help others. Look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When we experience trouble we know how to help people going through trouble. If you have had a a difficult experience in life, maybe you've gone through a painful situation, you have the capability to step up and stand beside an individual who is likewise going through a terrible difficulty in life, and you can say to them, my friend, I can tell you by experience, God is faithful, He will get you through this, and I'm going to stand here with you, and you will prevail. Now, there are some things we can't identify with. But if we've experienced trouble, we can step in to help other people. Have you ever said something like this, a person who's going through a difficult time? I know how you feel. Why? Did, okay, good. You, I, I need some feedback on this. Have you ever said something like that? Okay. Don't say it if it's something you can't understand, how they feel. There are times, some of you have lost a baby. And I can't identify with the feeling of that. But there are people in this congregation who can, who God has seen through, where there's been a stillbirth or a miscarriage. And I didn't realize how common that was until ladies in our former church were going through this and other ladies stepped up and they put their arms around them and said, you know what? Three years ago, I went through the same thing. Let me tell you what God can do for you through this difficult time. There are some things we can't identify with. In the first church I pastored, we had uh, some guests visiting our home, and it was a hot evening in Wisconsin. Believe it or not, there are such things. And I had the downstairs door open, and we were sitting at the kitchen table And I saw a police officer walk to the door. And you know that's never a good thing. He knocked on the door. He said, are you the pastor of the Baptist Church? I said, yes. He said, do you have a member in your church by the name of? And I said, yes. He said, you need to come with me. There's been a terrible tragedy. And as we got into the car and we drove to the home of this individual, a mother... I learned that her grandson had just shot and killed her son. I could not say I know how you feel. But here's what I do know. In every difficult trial of life, I have seen God be faithful, and I have seen him bring healing. And as a church, we rallied around that family. And stood with them as they went through one of the most difficult experiences of life. Because we all understand the severity of hardship, of loss, of trouble. And God allows us to go through those things so we can help each other. We understand if you're going through a hardship right now, God has the capability to turn that into victory as you help others who will be going through the same things. When you get down into verses 6 and 7, I want you to see how he says, now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. You know what he's saying? If the Lord puts us through trials, it's so we can identify with you and help you through them. Notice how he goes on to say, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. We've experienced it. We know that God is there to give us comfort, and you're going through a tough time right now, and here's what I can promise you. He will see you through. He will see you through. And the final thought that he brings before us is that we might stand together as a body of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 10 who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us. Here's what He says. When you're going through these trials, we know the source of comfort. We know that He brings that comfort because we have gone through the experiences of difficulty and trial, and we are absolutely confident in His capability And now, we are going to demonstrate our dependence upon Him by bringing before Him prayer on your behalf. This is why we meet on Wednesday nights. It's why we have a prayer meeting. We pray for the salvation of lost relatives of yours and lost friends. We pray for your co-workers that they would come to Christ. We pray for healing if the Lord would desire for those who are going through times of difficulty. And sometimes He heals. We, we're rejoicing today in the report we got from Bobby Hutchison. Just had cancer surgery on a lung. And at this point, the, the result seems to be 99.9% clear. Where's Carol? Carol, is that correct? Now, he's not here today because he's still recovering. But God has done a marvelous thing. And we thank Him for that. But you know what? There are others who die. And God has still done a marvelous thing. The righteous may have many trials, but the Lord delivers Him from them all. Sometimes in life, sometimes in death. Those loved ones of ours who have already gone to heaven, do you think they are lamenting where they are right now? Not at all. You know, the closer we get to that day, the more comfort we find in that. And the Lord does deliver. He will deliver the righteous out of all of their troubles. So here's the deal. We know the Comforter. We can stand with each other. And we will show our utter dependence upon Him as we hold each other up in prayer. And here's what I promise you as the Lord brings to mind the needs that you as a congregation have, not only I, but many others within this body of Christ will be praying for you. And we would hope that when the time comes, you will pray for us. Paul said, you're standing with me through all of my troubles, through all of my trials, by upholding me in prayer. And for that, I praise God our infinitely powerful, loving, merciful God who is always good. Let's stand. Thank you, Father, for being such a compassionate and capable God who has the ability to deal with every trial, every circumstance that comes our way. Nothing takes you by surprise. No trouble is greater than your capability to deal with it. You allow us, Father, to stand with each other and to give each other comfort as we have experienced the blessing of your deliverance and of your goodness to us. And, Father, we thank you for the privilege to uphold one another in prayer because we are utterly dependent upon you. I pray that you would do a work within our hearts today And encourage your people as they go through the trials of life to endure knowing that you are doing a mighty work on their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.